Hello, United Podcast Experience listeners. Welcome back to an episode of United Podcast Experience. Here for 2020, we have Matt Perry, a former, or excuse me, a naval uh, attendant, a race car driver, and a man who's got a story beyond words. But that's enough for me. I'm going to let Matt introduce himself. Hey, how's it going? It's Matt. Awesome, man. So let's get to the start of it. How did you end up in the racing world? What was the inspiration to not only serve our country while racing, but just what, what was it like being a kid and growing up in that racing scene? So my dad is retired Navy. And whenever he was home from his overseas duties, every Saturday night we'd go down to Jack's Raceways in Jacksonville, Florida, and watch the Saturday night dirt races down there or the midnight drags on, I think there's also the same nights as well. Um, but that's kind of how I got into it. And what really sparked it was one evening somebody actually stuck me inside the car in the pits after the race and just took a broomstick and rubbed the piss out of the engine. That from there I was kind of hooked. Oh, it's been, it's been your blood for a while. It sounds like just it's just that 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 feel. I got you. I was I six you. years old when that happened. Wow, that's that's crazy. And and of course you know there's there's tracks down there. Uh, like Daytona and uh, Atlanta or Speedway. I know, I know you're from Georgia now. Uh, what's the culture like, would you say, for racing? Is it, is it very popular? I'm sure you probably know it. But for anybody who doesn't know racing, what's the life down there in the south? So down in, like, south Georgia, north Florida, for me it was mainly dirt racing. You had mm-hmm. um, a dirt track up in Woodbine um, and Brunswick as well. And then you had Jack's Raceways, which – Closed down, I think 2006. It was going to be, it turned into was going to be a community they're going to build houses on, then realized the ground just wasn't good enough to build on. They had already tore up the track, so that was a complete loss there. Gotcha. Um, but now it's molding, so you have a lot of pavement racers down in the Orlando area. You knew Smyrna. Uh, you still have Volusia down there as well for dirt racing. So. Speed Weeks for Daytona, there's obviously a lot of racing. You had the ARCA race, uh, this crank everything off at Daytona on February 8th, and it's nonstop dirt racing and short track racing throughout the whole week. Normally, they would have the Canaan Pro Series run down there at uh, New Smyrna. Other than that, you have a lot of late miles, super late miles running, and then you have the dirt races at Volusia leading up to the duels at Daytona and then the Daytona 500 weekend. Absolutely. The grassroots is, is important, especially in the racing community, right? That's how everyone got started. Uh, any any vivid memories of, you know, growing up as a kid, watching these people, you know, just race and trying to emulate them? Um, the clear ones, I, I mean, it's, it's terrible it sounds. You always remember the craziest moments which normally end up being direct. I remember... Like, I think my three top memories at the track that I remember, and this goes into a lot of the safety stuff that's changed over the years. You go to tracks and it looks a lot different. I remember an old, uh, looks like a street stop, uh, running through the wall at Jack's Raceways. <laughs> um, one of my first nights there, then there was um, the team that stuck me in their car and rubbed the engine. That also hooked me. And then... Um, the pro late models or the super late models every time they came down to the track. Those were all big ones that I remember as a kid that really hooked me on each week. 
Then, of course, you had your little legend cars. But to me, I mean, back then, I didn't think legend cars were cool. They were a little tiny, and everybody loves the big horsepower and loud engines. Nowadays, I'm only dying to get in a legend car because they look so much fun. Yeah, and especially those uh, those classic events where I know they have uh, the quarter midges races and um, stuff in Charlotte on those, on those quarter mile tracks. Those, those definitely attract people. Uh, I was actually on the phone this week with a buddy of mine. Um, he was yeah. selling a bunch of his bandoleros. I was like, can a full size two hundred pound guy like me fit in one of those? <laughs> so I'll buy one. There you go. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's such an attraction that many people don't understand. Sometimes the smaller the smaller the car, but the the more atmosphere, I mean, culture is, is set in stone for sure. Uh, racing is a very team-oriented sport, as I'm sure you know. What are some things you have learned from, obviously, racing and also serving our country in the Navy that you can possess as you move forward in your career? I think the big things that helped me mold from Navy into the racing community as well, the teamwork side, leadership, being able to work through circumstances. I remember plenty of times out at sea where I've had to come up with something on the fly to fix an issue. Um, one of my races back in 2018, I was racing modifieds up at Meridian Speedway, and I'm coming onto the front stretch, and the steering wheel popped off. Well, I I fortunately spun out into the infield without any damage, but when I went to go fire the car back up, the shifter ripped out of the floor. So we we had to fix the tenning in the car on the fly to get the shifter mounted back so I can go back out for the second race of the night. Um, in the mix of that, I also had a blown clutch in the car. So working through a multitude of issues on the fly, just being able to keep on taking the hits and keep moving forward. Uh, The leadership side and teamwork side as well, um, I I think that has been a big beneficiary being in the military to take that with me, the working the issues on the fly, because you're always going to have something pop up. um, But also your team guys are always going to be there for you. You just got to be able to communicate well. Unfortunately, I have a great group of guys that bring great opportunities to me and are always helping keep me on track. My marketing guy, Dan, and my good buddy, John Pittman, he's uh, been helping me make sure I'm in a decent ride throughout the season, helping me out when I'm out on race day. There you go. You always got to make sure the team is with you. And during those moments, would you say anything that you know, let's say stuff that goes wrong. Do you feel like you have a sense of composure because of those leadership, where you can call down the people? Let's say if they start getting riled up in your team, or even on the track, if you start losing, you know that you've had that experience in the past to, to be calm and at ease during times. I, I think the the cool thing about working with uh, people in racing, where if I wasn't in the military or I didn't grow up around racing, because I didn't necessarily grow up around racing i grew up in a military household so that helped a little bit but your average person wouldn't i think to would be able to um take care of moments like that like they should be so working with guys that have been in the racing community for over 20 years they've dealt with the issues it comes up they just already either know what to do or they love the sport so much they have a no quit attitude and they won't quit 
until there's literally no option left, like the motor's blown in the middle of the race. You can't do anything about that. So fortunately, it hasn't. I haven't had any crew guys get riled up or upset. Um, they've been more so helped me become a better racer on and off the track and a lot better person. I, I actually look up to them sometimes more than some of the guys I work with in the military because of their attitudes and how they carry themselves is just to a whole new level. Oh, for sure. And now you've been, uh, I believe serving now say six years, right? You, you enlisted in 2014. What's, uh, what's been the biggest lesson from year one, let's say to now year six. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that happened with the accident compared to like an office job in the ship, but just in general, what's some of the biggest things you've seen from your growth in those six years? Um, the communication is a big thing, but uh, holding yourself accountable um, and being able to work through issues. As I said before, there there are plenty of times where we've had to come up with stuff on the fly and the worst times possible. So you just got to work together on that stuff and just keep on pushing forward and those no quit attitudes and keeping your composure even in the worst times because once you let your composure loose and you start showing emotion that just rubs off on everybody around you you start backtracking you're you're not getting the job done like you should be whether it's out at sea or at a racetrack gotcha gotcha it's it seems like it's very uh it's it's of course you have to improve yourself to get to where you want to be but understanding the core principles and how to apply it's very hands-on it sounds like from what it's I heard. very hands-on you, you just got to be able to work with the problem keep moving forward there you go uh so let's look at look at some of this and i was reading obviously appreciate you sending that article so you were working uh also as a valet driver and just you know because i know everybody knows racing or if you don't know it takes a lot of funding to get to where you want to be tell me what it was like balancing racing and that valet driver, and just all this when you were had to put these 90-hour work weeks in just to get the fun needed. What was it like? Yeah, I'm still doing it to this day. I, I actually have my valet job tomorrow night. Um, it just it, It's not as easy as in the older days to get sponsorships. Um, a lot of people don't see the value and what you're actually getting out of it anymore, so that makes it difficult. So we're having to work the extra hours to cover that gap. So I work my Navy job during the day. I get off my Navy job at 4 p.m. I go to my valet job at 5 and work that until 11. Go to bed, back up at 6 a.m. in the morning. Uh, and even between all that, I'm sending emails or staying up a little later to send emails, make phone calls, work on stuff to get ready for this, for the next race. Yeah, that is that's crazy. And would you say is there anything, you know, in those days is is there any downtime for you to think, or is it just literally, it's on the go and you don't have as much think that free time as you think? What what's just like that grind you have to do for your mental state? I mean, I wish there was more time to sit back and kind of relax a little bit. I've been kind of dealing with that the past few days. I have events coming up next week to try to help get sponsors for uh, this upcoming season. Right. I'm hit with the problem where I'm trying to find a trailer or I might have to drive 400 miles to get one and trying to find one in the mix of I'm also trying to take a vacation, go snowboarding. And right. I'm riding down a slope, texting on my phone. 
were on a phone call just trying to keep the hustle going while still trying to enjoy vacation. It's a literally nonstop. I, I wish there was more downtime, but being a small grassroots guy, I don't have a group of guys to take phone calls for me. I don't have a PR person. I, I, I'm all that. You're the one I man band. Yeah. It's yeah, literally a one-man show when it comes to that. That is crazy, dude. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, that's that's how a lot of people uh, start, right? I mean, we've, we've seen it, and especially with today's day and age, it's hard to market yourself, like you said, to get the sponsors and tracking. Is there anything you try to do with, say, to stand? Is there anything that you go on? I know social media is big, but is there anything else other than social media you try to do to get people – you know, get that attention, or is it just still every day is a new day? It depends on what people like. Um, for the most part, it's a new day, um, but I always try to use my resources and options. Like, um, so I had my car accident that I had to get my surgery for, right. and they put me what's called limited duty so I could heal. So they pulled me off the ship. Um, I'm up for orders right now, and I was talking with my detailer. The detailer is the guy that puts you into your next job position, where it's out on a ship or somewhere here stateside to go work for a Navy. And I was fortunate enough that while I was down in Daytona in July, I met a master chief at the media center in Daytona. I was helping a buddy of mine with his stuff. And we got to talking. He actually knew one of the higher-ups in the Navy that could help me get to recruiting. Ultimately, I wanted to become a recruiter in the Navy. So I pitched my story to him that I'm the current only active duty service member in the world that's racing NASCAR and that this would be a great opportunity to pair NASCAR with Navy recruiting to actually have a Navy recruiter behind the wheel of the race car. Um, They we're like, that's actually a really great idea, and that could really help bring some people into the service. That I had 15 months left on sea duty, and they called it good, and they're sending me recruiting out in North Carolina at the beginning of the year. Wow, that that that's a interesting story, man. Uh, you want to now? Now we I guess we can, it's a good time to just dive into that uh, that accident. Uh, what was it like, just? that day you know describe just the day what it was like as much as you can remember before it happened oh i I remember all of it i didn't even pass out in the wreck Uh, okay the the wreck wasn't even that bad in my opinion i was just heading home from a valet job it was like 10 30 at night nobody on the road um and i was just cruising home reached down to grab a water bottle looked up car in front of me shifted lanes and there was a bus at a dead stop in the left lane I had no time to stop or ran underneath them. Uh, I remember light shutting off on the dashboard. I remember all of it. The impact wasn't, I didn't feel like the impact was that bad. I've wrecked a super late model and pretty much almost folded the fuel tank into the back seat. There's no back seats in super late models, but that one like knocked the wind out of me. And that was going backwards into a wall, not even forward. Um, so that that was probably my worst wreck that I've ever been in. But that wreck that night, I I didn't think it was that bad until after the fact when I saw the actual damage that has happened. The back bumper of the bus was about a foot from my face. My dashboard was had pinned in my legs. 
And I had actually even broke off the clutch and the brake pedal on the car because I was stepping on both of them on the moment of impact. It's just a natural reaction for me to push in the clutch when I'm about to hit something. So that way the engine keeps running like you would do in a race car. Right, right. And so you also don't spin the motor backwards. Um, But so... Yeah, the back bumper is about a foot from my face, and everybody at the scene thought I was actually dead. No police or EMS came to check on me in the car. The other driver of the bus came over and checked on me um, and knew I was alive, but they, the police made them scoot away. It's funny. I was actually the only person at the scene to call 911, and I even called work and told them that, not coming into work tomorrow. Instead, I'm probably going to the hospital tonight while I was still pinned in the car. Wow. And then since nobody was coming to help me, I was like, okay, well, I'm obviously in pain. My left leg hurt a lot. I had uh, crushed a soft tissue in my lower left leg and torn a PCL ligament in my left knee and kind of banged up my right ankle. So that wasn't too bad. It was just a bruise. Um, other than that, I didn't really, I mean, I had bruising for my seatbelt and bruising my arms in the airbag, but nothing else. I, I was very fortunate for how bad that wreck was to come out with as little injuries as I did. So nobody helped me. I was like, okay, well, can I get my right leg out? Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I might as well get arrested away. So I crawled out the passenger side of the car. When the door opened, everybody looked back and saw me crawling out like, oh, dang, he, he's actually alive. Wow. I, that is a crazy story, and I think you you said that you stayed relaxed before the impact. Do you think that helped to stay relaxed and not panicking and adjusting on the fly, like you said earlier? Yeah, I think the relaxing was a big thing that helped because in that super late mile wreck that I w- had, I did not relax in that one. Um, I actually tensed up and leaned forward in my straps, just kind of like clenching in mm-hmm. for the wreck. Because at first I was spinning backwards, I was like, okay. I'm probably going to come to a stop in time. I was still moving with a head full of steam, but I didn't realize the big picture on that. All I saw was I was going backwards down the back stretch, the whole back stretch. And then I saw the wall coming in quick from the corner of my eye. I knew I was about to hit and I clenched up and that didn't help me because that just threw me back into the seat and caused a lot more injuries for me. So... Fortunately, I, I, we welded the car back together and put some JB weld on the fuel tank to, <laughs> to stop the leak on it. And we got the car back out running that night and uh, finished ninth. We would have finished a little bit better. It was an 85-lap race. It got stopped in lap 45 due to um, decibel curfew. The race ran super late. It was wreck after wreck. It was literally an attrition race. Mm-hmm. Every five laps, you watch a car just push their whole nose in on the front stretch for whatever reason. I even had to avoid a few wrecks from my teammate. He spun out in front of me, and then the last wreck, he spun out. What took me out of the race in lap 35 was that wreck that he was in. We stopped on the front stretch for a red flag. Well, when we moved to the back stretch, uh, my brake pedal just went straight to the floor when I went to stop. So that was the end of my race there. We 
pushed my car back into the pits and called it a night at that point. Rather than risk anything else to the car, I'm sure we could have probably gotten brake pressure back up in the pedal, but the last thing I wanted to do was go 100 miles an hour into a turn and not have any brakes. Right. right. That's a head on impact. It doesn't really work out in a little flat eighth mile or quarter mile oval. True. No, you make a good point there. Right? You don't want to uh, also cost the team money. It's already it's already, it's already got to pay for the damages, right? And any more damage could it could be inflicting for sure. Oh yeah, that that car only saw one more race, and then it went to the junkyard. After that, it, it, it had its pace of wrecks. It, it was time. Right, right. Every, and it's just like life, man. Sometimes, you know, you need a change, and when it happens, it's just you just gotta be thankful. You at least had the opportunity to race the car for sure. Uh, yeah. What was it like though for that recovery process, man? I'm sure it was it was a hard recovery process. As you said you thought you could easily get out in a week, but then it took a little bit to to walk again. What was that like, just recovering and the mental aspect of it too? Yeah, so I'll walk in, walk from the first day in the hospital. I remember after I got out ICU and everything. It was funny because everybody's trying to figure out where it was at to start off with. My phone was dead. My actual last phone call that I made was to my roommate. I was like, hey, I've been in a car wreck. Uh, my phone's about to die. If you don't mind going behind uh, my nightstand in my bedroom and grabbing my charger, that would be awesome and bring it to this hospital. And then after that, my phone had no battery left. So nobody heard from me for the rest of the night. Nobody knew where I was going. And I had to wait for him to wake up to pass the word. My parents knew I had been in a bad wreck, so they started calling around, calling old roommates, and eventually found out. So I woke up the next morning when my chief got to the hospital. Um, and then later on that afternoon, when they finally looked at all my MRIs, CAT scans, um, and x-rays to make sure there's no internal bleeding, there's nothing else, I didn't have a concussion, that I was good to go on that aspect um, and try to stand up. They had, they were like, nope, you, you can't move. You can't sit up. You can't do anything. You just got to stay put. So I literally sat in half a day in the hospital with a neck brace on, just staying in one spot. Um, and then we tried to get me out of bed to walk, and my left leg just hurt so much to try to move at all, even move me from bed to bed when I was going between all my CAT scans, x-rays and whatnot, it was the most painful thing to go between all that. So we tried to get me up and walk and I realized, okay, I can't walk. And a few days goes on by after I've gotten out of the hospital and I still couldn't walk. I needed crutches. And then we finally started to work away from the crutches but I still did not have the muscle structure. I didn't have, it was still too painful. So we got me a knee brace. They actually did a custom 3D scan of my left leg at physical therapy. And this is between us going for another MRI because we knew there was actually, the hospital didn't even know that I had a torn PCL. We didn't figure that out until after the, I got out of the hospital. 
and wow. started going to physical therapy and they're like, okay, your left knee does not feel like it should be. We think you possibly have a torn PCL. We're going to send you for an MRI and because you're also having difficulties trying to get the walk again without the crutches, we're going to get a knee brace for you. So they 3D scanned my leg with an iPad, a special camera on it. And what they do is they take that off and build a like foam mold of my leg. And then they made a custom carbon fiber knee brace, the shape of my leg. And once I got that, I could start working away from the crutches. And I got into the RC cars because I couldn't go to the racetracks. Um, actually, I, I went to the racetrack once, but I wasn't racing. I went to Irondale Speedway for the 4th of July, mm-hmm. and that was just a few days after my accident. So all my buddies that were there, like, you were literally just dead a week ago, and you're here. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm not going to stop coming to a racetrack, <laughs> even though I can't race. So I got the RC cars in the meantime, but... I couldn't run around and go grab my RC car every time I flipped it over. So um, I was still working through the fact of trying to relearn how to walk, trying to get to the point where I can run again. I don't think it was until maybe September timeline that I was able to start walking normal, maybe get like a few step jog in. Hmm. Um, That was the closest I got back to running. And then I had my... We started scheduling my surgery because the physical therapy to try to rehabilitate my leg just wasn't working. We kind of realized that early on, so we knew we were going to have to go through the surgery. Most people, they don't need to go through the surgery, 80%, because the muscles within your leg can actually support for a PCL if it blows out. Unlike an ACL where more commonly would need to get the surgery. A PCL, not so much. PCL is also a pretty brutal surgery compared to an ACL. Um, so we ske- we started scheduling, and it was going to be a while before I could get my surgery. And then just one day when I was coming into work, they called me like, hey, we had a slot open up next week. Wow. Do you want to get the surgery done uh, three or four months early? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So I got the surgery done at the beginning of October, and I had 30 days bed rest, just stay at home. So I went to the store, I got all the frozen meals I could ever want that I could eat in bed and just watch The Office on replay for the whole month. Um, Then from there, we had uh, my physical therapies where I, from October to December, it was passive movements only for the most part, or until late November. So what that means is I'm not allowed to activate the muscles myself in my left leg. The most I was allowed to do would be um, almost like a flutter kick. kick, You know what that is? Hmm. With your legs where you just straight leg, lift it up and put it back down the ground, both legs. Gotcha. So I I had to do that to help keep the blood moving in the legs. I wouldn't get a blood clot or anything. And they would move the the knee themselves 
when I went to physical therapy. It wasn't until December that I finally was allowed to step on the leg, put my full weight on it, and try to get off the crutches um, and start bending it myself again. They gave me my fourth and final brace after that, which was another one they custom make for you. And that's what I relearned how to walk on. I wore that. I wore that brace from December of 2018 all the way up until uh, easily probably June of, yeah, it was six months after, so June of 2019. That'd be 24-7 while in bed or while walking around. That's, that's nuts just to think that that timetable took so long. Uh Tell me what it was like, though, like when you were in the in, in the bedroom, you know, as a guy who loves to change, adapt, you know, being the open, hands-on, what was it like just being bedridden and having to wear these braces? Was it just something that you thought like was deteriorating your your, your uh, mental state, or do you feel like you just stayed strong and just knew you had to get through, through willpower? I think it deteriorated my mental state, to be honest, and I – couldn't realize that myself. I mean, I already knew I was miserable going through the whole process. I wasn't enjoying it. This became a daily lifestyle for me and changed my whole lifestyle. Took me out the ship, took me out of race car. Your whole life now is just focusing on healing this knee and you can't do anything else. So that kind of was a big damper on everything. Mm-hmm. And when, uh, when I started going back to the track, um, at the beginning of the 2019 season and some of my buddies that were very close friends of mine that watched me through the healing process also could kind of see it. Um, the way I was, whether I make a post on Facebook, I want to make like upsetting posts on Facebook, but you, you saw this 23 year old kid that was enjoying life, racing, doing everything he loved. And now it's just, Posts about hanging out with the puppies in bed and doing nothing else. And I couldn't even get in my racing simulator. So I, I would talk with my friends. I like, I can't wait to at least get back in the simulator and do something while I'm home because I couldn't go out and race. I wasn't approved to go race. I couldn't even go and just run on a track by myself. It was not allowed. None of that. It was it was hard to even just drive my car to work because my leg was locked straight, so I could barely fit in my car. I'm stacking four or five pillows on top of my seat just to get an angle that I could get to and from work on. And work was an hour drive away at that time. It was on the other side of San Diego, and I lived on the south side of San Diego. So that made it a little bit harder, but... Fortunately, things people notice a drastic turn. So, I met a guy named Dan at Las Vegas. Um, I think it was before the accident, or just it was actually before the accident. I remember it was before the accident at the March 2018 race at Vegas. We were chatting. It was me, him, Spencer, boy. We were all just BSing. We kept in contact because we found out we both lived in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And then December timeline, when I finally got that new brace, 
I was starting to work towards getting back in the simulator to see, all right, how much did I lose? All right. I haven't touched a simulator or a race car since June. So what, what have I lost? And I wanted to know, I want to do something different, something I can do with my friends because all my friends raced on iRacing. So that was a great way for me through my VR headset, where I was playing other games or iRacing, I could at least get more social back into the community. So my first day back on, they actually had just, this was when we were talking about the Charlotte Roval coming up for right. 2019. So, or right after the first race, because the first race was um, in the fall of 2018. So they had that new track up, and I wanted to try it. So I picked up a K&N car and went on to that track and actually posted a faster lap time than Austin Sindrick did in his qualifying in the Xfinity Series. Wow. Post that video on Facebook. And Dan, who at the time was working with VRX simulators, I was actually heading to the airport to fly home for the Daytona Architest to hang out with my guys um, and kind of start shifting focus for the 2019 season. He gave me a call I was, I was, as I was on my way to the airport about that video, and that opened a whole new world opportunities. That that was literally, I was not expecting that phone call. Uh, they wanted to have Burex sponsor my car and Sims and work towards things within NASCAR as well when I got back behind the wheel. So that led into we, me and a buddy of mine were running the 24 hours of Daytona in the simulator. BRX actually sponsored the car. Me and Dan, beyond that, went on to doing many more great things, picking up great sponsors throughout the year to get ready for when I got back in the race car and for 2020. So it, it was a big timetable shift, um, but it couldn't have come at a better time, I think. And the friendship I've been able to grow with Dan, whether we're having a rough day and sponsors aren't coming through the door or when things are just working out great, it's, it's boosted my morale and everything so much. Yeah, that's important, man. Connection most, of the for fun, sure. most of the fun for me is even if everything is not working well, trying to get back into a race car, the fun I'm having with my friends uh, that I make along the way or these business connections that we're all having a great time getting to know each other, that's almost just as fun. And that makes me want to continue to do this, whether it's working in my favor or it's not. I'm enjoying it. And I've told myself each day, I'm going to keep trying to go race and go racing until I'm not having fun anymore. I might not be racing as much as I'd like to. I might not have the resources some of these other guys, they're able to run top echelon rides their whole life, have. I don't, I don't have that resource, so I can't do all that. But as long as I'm having fun, I'm going to keep on trying to do this. Right, right. Now, you make a very great point, man. It's, it's a great story of entrepreneurship in a sense, right? It's a struggle, right? You live it every day. You have the ups, you have the downs, but if you can enjoy the process, like you said, you're doing it and still find joy, even when those times are a lot with your buddies, like Dan, 
you can still get through the toughest times. And that, that's uh, resiliency, as they say, for sure. That was very re- resilient. It's not, it's not easy. <laughs> we'll give it that, but it is fun to hang out with all your friends and do this on a day-to-day thing where you're all living this together and right. still making a profit out of it. So that's also a good thing. You, if I break even and I, I, did, I didn't even get on the racetrack, I'm still happy. Sometimes happiness is worth more than, at the end of the day, sometimes even cash, right? I think as, as long as you're still happy and you're still kicking, as you said, and enjoy it, and you had those moments, like you said, beating pole times in the simulator and and just making making a living, right? And still trying to live that freedom dream. It's talks a little bit about your account Instagram at the end, but uh, why you named it. But it, it it makes sense, you know. It's just it's just one of those things that a lot of people don't understand the happiness, rather than just uh, a lot of cash. You know, I think that's the vision that a lot of people lose, whether it's racing or any uh, form of business that they shoot for. And Gary V actually cap- captures this a lot in his stuff. There was a guy that asked him what percentage of their business they take and what not home. And Gary said, as little as possible. And what that means is some people build a business, some people build a business to pull money out. They want to live a luxurious life, a nice house, nice vacations. Great, Masatop, you you've earned that. That that's your personal decision. But if you want something to uh, prosper in the long run, you take as little as you need to. Don't live in a nice, expensive house. Rent a like I rent a room. I don't rent a whole apartment for myself. I just rent a room. Something as cheap as possible, so that way I can put as much money as I can towards my business venture. So I can go racing. So that way I can make other marketing connections. So I can help build other businesses. That's what I enjoy. That's what I want to see prosper long term. Now, if I buy a nice car, live in a nice house, I could do that. I could. Navy gives me the money to go live in an apartment by myself. They give us enough money for that. But I don't do that so my stuff can prosper. If I didn't do that, I wouldn't have the opportunities to go make these business connections. It wouldn't be financially possible. And that's what a lot of people, I think, when they build a business, they lose that mindset, that vision. Or somebody that has those opportunities that they don't need to focus on, um, managing their budgets as strongly. The money is always going to be there for them. They don't see that in the same perspective. I think a very interesting point, man. It is true because you living the, the let's say, uh, middle class frugal, life. Yeah, real frugal, right? More, more frugally, uh, not minimalism, right? Because I think, unless you consider it minimalism to you, but... Not well, I mean, where... that middle-class life and living as minimal as possible. Right, right, right. Middle-class, middle, minimal, there you go, middle-class minimalism, that's a good term, uh, is a better option for you, right? So as they always say, it's not just like in racing. It's not you're going to win the race on lap one. You sure can lose it on lap one. 
Oh, you sure can lose on a lap one. You'll find yeah. out a lot on iRacing. <laughs> yeah. um, but you can, but you uh, you definitely can win down the road, right? I mean, you, you, as long as you keep it in the grind and you reach those checkered flags, man, it really it really does make a difference. Um, so back to that article. Obviously, it's been well documented. It's a well documented story. Kyle Busch, you know, he suffered that crash at Daytona in 2015. The Xfinity race had that very similar injury. Uh, where he, you know, broke his leg and shattered it and then came back and won the championship. Now he's a two-time champ. Uh, what what inspiration did you learn from that and anything that you got from that story to keep pushing through the white as a positive white? That was, like, probably one of the worst cases you could have. Worst, best cases. He had the wreck on the first day of the season. I was just getting lined up at the same time period to start moving up to the K&N Pro Series. All right, and mm-hmm. he was obviously racing for a championship. He's racing at top echelon of NASCAR. Right. So, but he wrecks in the first race of the season, goes his through his recovery, and when he first gets back in the race car, he immediately starts winning the race at Sonoma, wins multiple other races after that, and goes on to win a championship. Granted, I haven't won a race, but the way I look at that as a form of inspiration, if he can do that, and go through all the motions and movements of that, the struggles. He also had a, had a kid. He had Brexton right. in that time period as well. So there was a lot that he had to go through in that time period to get where he ended up at. That's inspiration for me to next year will be my first full year back in racing, uh, a starting later on in the season because of recovering from my wreck that I hope I can do something like that. I That's a huge inspiration for me and I'm sure other racers out there that have gone through similar cases as me because this is a dangerous sport. Everybody at some point is going to incur some form of injury if you're in it long enough. You're going to have wrecks. You're going to get hurt. It's a dangerous sport inherently. So... No, you're absolutely right. You, you know, but when you sign up for the risk you take, right? And that that's crazy thing. Kyle didn't get hurt. They told him 500. He got hurt in the uh, the prelim race, right? The Xfinity race. And it's just crazy though. At least when he did make that comeback, it inspired many people to to go out there and never give up, right? I think we we lose sight when we're in the down times. The well, it's, it's easy to take the easy way out quick, but going through that relentless mindset of never giving up and always going for the extra mile in a sense, it, it really does make a difference and how you perceive life to change your perspective on life as well it literally will change your perspective as life as soon as he won the championship he said over his headset that he might not understand the meaning of life yet but this this says something he said that as soon as he won the championship and you can go watch youtube videos on it. he's literally bawling his eyes out in that video right even even the top people, right? They'll they'll face adversity. It's not just, well, you know, it's just the grassroots. Everybody, right? everyone will face adversity in their life, and it's how you overcome it and how you put the work in to get to where you want to be. It's emotional, and I think at the end of the day, we all have emotions, and sometimes you've got to move those in tears for sure. It, it is. It's it's emotional to work so hard for something and succeed. I could easily just say, hey, you know what? I don't want to race. 
I don't want to spend the time and the money, the effort into that. I just want to live my life, be in the military for a full career until I hit retirement and get my retirement pension and go on and get another government job and work that for a while. Now, I'm also going to add to that, that is not a bad way of living either. My father did it. He was a very successful man. I look up to him for what he did. He He's built me into a better man because of what he's had to go through himself. If, if racing at the end of the day did not work out for me, I've more than probably served my country for my full 20 years. I love my job. I love what I do. And I admire everybody else and their other business ventures that they do. I, I could easily just live this safe and less risk lifestyle by doing just that. But I wanted to show what I can do. I want to be something more than just your average Joe that works a job, goes home, and that's the story. I I wanted to show what I'm capable of. So working three or four jobs, going to my Navy job, sending emails between that, my valet job, working my valet job, going home, sending more emails on the weekends, going out and spotting for other drivers or helping teams in their pits. And then when it's my turn, me go out and race as well. Just managing all that together to get to race day is a huge feat for anybody to do. And a lot of people do it. I don't think a lot of people realize what racers actually have to go through nowadays to get to the race day. It's not just as easy as getting hired on by a team. It's you have the teams and you have the drivers. Mm -hmm. Drivers bring forth the sponsorship dollars. The way they make a profit is they get a large enough sponsorship to cover more than what it costs to go to race day. And then their marketing teams have to go to work and make that profitable for the businesses as well. And that's what we strive to do. And that's, that's honestly one of the funnest parts about the job other than racing because those business ventures that you get to enjoy and watch the success of other businesses grow in the process is amazingly fun. Yeah, no, it it really is. We were just talking about the process and, uh, and having that almost, I'm not going to say, the, you know, start from the bottom, now we're here, but almost start from the bottom, just slowly, gradually working to be the better person you want to be. And, every, and like I said, on the road with the people you, you wanted to connect with and making those business connections, it, it adds up. And over time, the more you do it, the more you understand the risk of it, which you are, you'll enjoy life. And it's great that you can do both and balance it too, right? It's, sometimes it won't be easy, but... Those times when it's not easy, you have that resilience to move forward for sure. As long as you can enjoy what you do, anything is possible. It's just mm-hmm. time and effort. That's it. Time, effort, and perspective. It's a, it really is. Um, so let's go a little bit now transitioning into uh, what you did as far as towards the end of 2019. We, we call it the June. What was uh, the second half of 2019 like for you? Was it getting back in the groove of just life normally or do you feel like you were still now at the point where it's just hustle hustle after the injury kind of healed 
I think it was a little bit of both of that. So we uh, did the release at Daytona. Me and Rutledge shot a video. Rutledge Wood, we shot a video saying I'm now cleared to go back to racing at every intention of getting back in a race car. I was working with Vision Motorsports at the time. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get anything together before the end of the season to do anything with them. But um, my buddy, John Pittman, and I, we were looking to do some late mile racing out in Tennessee at Kingsport Speedway. And that was actually a very interesting week. That was probably one of the biggest hustles I've ever seen me and my buddies do. So it was um, the week before the race. The race was on a Saturday night. So we're a week out from this. I had a sponsor ready to go, and then last minute, they um, said, oh, well, after the race, we're going to get our money back, right? And, like, that's that's not how sponsorship works in sports, unfortunately. What we do is we help market and build the businesses through a sponsorship. So there was a misinterpretation of the agreement. My whole goal was to help them build, and we were lining them up to connect them with other businesses as well to really help them branch out. That could have ended up in an opportunity that really could have been um, a really make-it moment for that business. But unfortunately, we couldn't make it go through. So that sponsorship deal fell through, and that meant that I was not going to go race late models out at Kingsport Speedway. So I was like, all right, I'm already gotten this far. We're going to do something. I don't care what it is. We're going to do some form of racing that weekend. I'm not going to go to the 2019 season without at least getting one race in. So no matter what we got to do, we're going to make it happen. And me, John, everybody, we were on board with that. So we hustled, and John is actually a, a big dirt racer himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ran the idea, like, how about some dirt racing? Because that's a little bit lesser cost. You're running the same type of uh, equipment. So the equipment I would have been running Kingsport essentially still has the Crate V8 in it, the 604. And dirt racing, they run the same thing. It's just a dirt racing platform versus asphalt. So I was like, I'd be interested to consider the idea. So I did some Google searching, and that ran me – to a to a track up in Illinois. I'm San Diego. I'm I'm already stepping out of my zone going to Tennessee to go run Kingsport. Illinois, know nothing up there other than farm fields and snow. That's all I know it for. <laughs> so I gave a call to a guy named Smitty, um, who owned the team. They rented out Dirt Pro Late Models. They ran 604s on a little um, 3 eighths oval out there, I think that was. So I gave him a call on Monday and started talking about it. And it was considerably cheaper than going out and run the asphalt late model. So that's why I was interested in that because I could cover that gap very easily compared to trying to come up to funding to go run late models on asphalt. So Tuesday comes around, Wednesday comes around. The race for this track is on Friday. So Wednesday, we are still trying to figure everything out. Okay, come on out. 
I'm like, okay, I'm coming out. Um, they weren't 100% sure if it was for real or not because I was from California. They never had somebody come out from so far away to run at their track. So I showed up Thursday, and I called and was like, hey, I'm here. And they were like, okay, you're here. The car's ready to go. They got the car ready to go that night. They changed the gearing in it to make it a little bit easier for me to get up and going because that was my first time on dirt. And Friday showed up, and we went racing. And I found out, after, found out during the whole process, well, this is honestly probably the best race nights I've ever had in the eight or, eight or nine years that I've been around the racing community. Um, the car was a very well-built car. It was actually a prior championship car that won over 20 races. Um, the owner of the car was actually also the owner of Kankakee County Speedway, the track we were running at. So that was good knowing that I was in good hands, somebody that cared, and he also had 20 years of asphalt experience and 13 years of dirt experience by his belt, and he put me in his personal race car. He had plenty of other cars in his shop he could have just tossed me in, mm-hmm. but he put me in his personal race car. He knew a active duty NASCAR driver was coming in from California, had come this far, and put me in his. I was super fortunate of that. Um, it was one of the best pieces I've ever raced. And it was so much fun. That was my first time back behind the wheel since my accident. And I remember after the second heat race, I was pulling off the track, bawling out tears because I was so happy to be back behind the wheel. And in the night, I wasn't focused on trying to be the best on track. I was seeing where I was at and do the best I can. And I think I finished in the top 15 in that one. It was a 23-car field. It was just one of the biggest fields of the whole season. Um, and then in the night, he uh, wanted to help me out, help me get a little bit further and a little bit better. So we took the car back on track after everybody packed up the cars, and I ran another 30 laps. I went out there. He said, I want you to run five laps your way, and then you're going to run the rest of them my way. And I easily picked up one and a half to two seconds in that evening practice. And he told me that from the get-go, you're going to struggle all throughout the day, not because you're a bad driver, it's just it's different on how you run dirt versus how you run asphalt. But in the night, we're going to make you a better racer for future times you come back. Hmm. And now the plan is for 2020, we're going to run a full season of Dirt Pro Late Models up in Khaki County Speedway with Smitty's team uh, to hopefully get approved and go run the Eldora Dirt Derby on July for the Truck Series. That's go. my ultimate goal. I want to also get some asphalt uh, late model races in there as well. Um, that'd be my aspiration, but my biggest goal is, okay, it's expensive to run asphalt, tremendously expensive. And to be able to have a great piece for asphalt, it costs a lot of money. But I can have a great piece on dirt for a fraction of that price 
And I think the best opportunity for me to showcase my marketing team, what my capabilities are, and what we can all do to help businesses grow and show what I can do on track is to go run those dirt races to make to help me have that competitive edge come that time. That NASCAR allows a lot of dirt racers to come in and run that race. So running a full season on dirt pro late models and coming into that race where most of the field has no experience on dirt or never even raced on it. Maybe one practice day leading up to that, they had no experience on dirt. Right. And they're they're spending a lot of money for these good rides and have the potential to do that because they're in a good ride. But I also watch my buddy John Pittman and um, the team that he was helping out with. They're not a top-end team. They're, they sometimes will finish in the top 20. They're not going to be seen running up front all the time. There are times where they have their good days. That team finished in the top five at that race in a low-end ride, medium to low-end ride. They didn't have the best equipment out there, and they're outrunning teams like KBM, GMS Racing, and all those. Right. So when it comes to dirt racing versus asphalt, asphalt's 90% car, 10% driver, I would like to say. And dirt is easily 50% car and 50% driver. You can have a terrible vehicle, but if you're one hell of a driver, you can really showcase what you can do, regardless of the equipment. And I think Eldora Dirt Derby is a perfect opportunity for me and the perfect opportunity for marketing for companies, being a part of history in the making, having the first active duty service member in the world race in the national level to NASCAR. That's a great goal, man, and I wish you luck. But you're right, and going back to that point, right, sometimes it really is about the driver on there. It's the great equalizer, right? It's different types of things, and it's a one-off. The truck series doesn't really run anywhere else other than NASCAR except that one race. So you do have that level of playing field, knowing that, hey, I can make a difference here and, and put that, you know, let's say top 25 car on a normal day and asphalt track to a possible top five ride for sure. And ultimately, that would be my goal. Have with bringing that experience underneath my belt to that, I only can hope that I will be able to run up front with those guys. And I have no doubt that we'll be able to pull that off at some point during the race or at least run in the top 10. But I'm excited for it. I'm excited for what's to come this season. It's already looking good. Everything that we got lined up, I'm super excited and I can't thank everybody that's been helping me along the way so much to get me where I am. It's literally a dream come true. Yeah, man, no, it definitely, and uh, we, we definitely will be following your journey as uh, we progress too, too. It's, 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 it's definitely an inspiring story. Uh, but before we uh, head out, let's, uh, let's kind of wrap it up. You already told your 2020 plan. Tell me uh, how you got the name uh, Live Free Racing. What, where did that come from before we head out? And then, uh, I'll let you plug your social handles. <laughs> so, Liffy Racing is what I use for um, my Instagram account. It used to be my Facebook account as well, but now I changed that to Matt Perry Racing. So, back in the day when I was getting into the racing community, 
I did a lot of photography. So originally my social media channels were photography channels for me. Um, so I kind of got the live free racing idea from Ryan Turk. It's a Formula D driver. And back in the day, I did. A, I started off in drifting. So I would go out drifting at Central Florida Racing Complex. Um, you know, have you've heard of Hoonigans, right? The company. Yes, I have. Yes. So Hertz, uh, he drifts a rotary, the bright red Arc Seven. Used to have the V8 in it. He went back to rotary, I think. I remember back when he first got that car and was drifting with us down at Central Florida Racing Complex before he moved out to L.A. That's the group that I started off with, Chelsea Denofa, Alec Honnadale, all those. So I did a lot of photography down there whenever I wasn't getting a little bit of seat time. I, I had some great friends that would teach me things here and there and give me opportunities. I was fortunate for that. That helped me get my foot in the door. And to start making those connections. So Live Free Racing started off as a photography platform. And the idea from it for Ryan Turk was um, he always, it, I remember it was after he posted a video about drifting at, I think it was New Hampshire Motor Speedway or something. He made the comment, live free or die. Hmm. Uh, and that's kind of what I, in essence, built my life around. Because what's the point of, uh living or not what's the point of not living i mean you're going through life you have opportunities to do these great things fun things and have a story in the last thing i want is on my deathbed to wish i can go back and do something differently so i'm going to live my life free and the best of what i can because i don't want to do anything else other than that it's fun to go out and live your life with your friends and have a great story at the end of the, uh, at the end of your life. Because who knows, that wreck, that could have been, that, that was very close and could have been my last moment, easily. Mm -hmm. And if it had, at least I would have had a great story behind me and would have known that I lived a great life that I tried my best then and did my best then. So that's yeah, where the live free racing came from. No man, it's a it's a very uh, it's a very great way to end it. I think right. I think living to the fullest, right? Living the way you want to live and not not backing down for opinions or conforming yeah, to not, something. Not being influenced yeah. by what other people say, saying that this is impossible. You can't do this. Uh, go if you have an aspiration to do something, go out and do it. If you fail, great, you failed. All right, you at least gave it a shot. You'll never know unless you don't try, right? If I failed at racing or racing just didn't work out for me, I did it. And say I did it, I've raced late models, I've raced super late models, I've ran on dirt, I've worked great NASCAR teams, I've helped out some great people, made some great friends that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. And if I don't race another day in my life, I'll still be happy serving my country, doing something I love and something I believe in. I love going out to see you with all my friends. I have made some great memories on deployment. I wish some of them I can go back and relive, um, not because I wish I did them differently, but because those are just 
moments that I'm never going to forget um, for the rest of my life. And me and my dad talk about those moments all the time between our deployments we've done um, and the countries we've visited over the years. But live live your life to the fullest. Don't don't take uh, opinions from others saying don't do this. Obviously, if it's something that's completely wrong and bad, obviously, yeah, don't do that. But if they're saying don't go racing, you won't be successful in it. Don't start business because you won't be successful in it. You're just going to struggle. You're going to go bankrupt. You're young. If you're young like me in your 20s or 30s, you can literally fall on your face and pick yourself back up and fix the rest of your life and live a happy life. If you're 60 and trying to do something, that's a different story. You kind of can't rebuild your retirement savings at 60, but you can when you're 20. This is the time to take risks and find out what you truly love and want to do. I like that. Take the risk while you're young and you can always make up for it, right? It's just, I mean, you can't. You can take a risk when you're young and always make up for it, but if you never take that risk, you'll never know the other outcome. It really is true, for sure. Um, but, yeah, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know you uh, have lived for a race, but is there any, any other social handles on any other platforms that you want to plug before we head out? Uh, go ahead and give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Live Free Racing, Facebook at Matt Perry Racing. You can also reach out on our Instagram profile or LinkedIn as well to get in contact with me. If any businesses would like to come on board for our 2020 season, this would be an amazing opportunity for you and to build your business into the next level. Awesome, brother. We'll definitely have those in the show notes, as always. As thank you, as always, to United Podcast Experience listeners for giving you guys the most undivided attention to our guest. And Matt, brother, good luck next uh, this, uh, this upcoming season, and we'll look forward to seeing you down the road, and hopefully uh, you getting a trophy in the outdoor derby, for sure. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Hope you everybody has a great New Year's. You too, man. Thank you for kicking off the show in style. Appreciate it. Welcome. thank you for listening to the podcast as always we hope this episode was valuable and for more awesome stories please subscribe if you have someone else in mind that should hear these episodes too go ahead and share it we dare you follow us on instagram at the united promotion and for everything else including show notes and more info on how to become a guest on our podcast visit linktr.ee forward slash the up have a great day